ማጮቻችሁ የቃርብ ቻፕተርስ ነው አሁን ወደና መጣችሁ ኦብሳሽ ፈራው ሄኖ ካብራና ፓስተራሪክ ከናንተ ጋር አንድ ላይ አለን ፕሮግራማችን ከመጀመራችን በፊት ዲስከስ ምናረጋው ነገር ከመጀመራችን በፊት ሁሉ እንደምናሳስባችሁ ፌስቡክ ላይ ቴሌግራም ላይ ዩቲዩብ ላይ ስፖቲፋይ ከዛ በላይ ደግሞ አፕል ፖድካስት ላይ ስክሪፕቸር አለን ፖድካስትን መከታተል በፍጹም እንዳትረሱ ላይክ ሰብስክራይብ ሼር ማድረግም እንዳትረሱ ከዛ ባለፈ ደግሞ አፕል ፖድካስት ላይና ኢቪ ደግሞ እዚህ ሀገር ያላችሁ ሰዎች ተራኪ ተራኪ ፖድካስት አፕ ላይ ሬት ማድረግ እንዳትረሱ ከዛ ባለፈ ደግሞ አሪፍ ሪቪው መጻፍ እንዳትረሱ እነዚህ ነገሮች ታረጉ ደግሞ በተሻለ ሁኔታ ለኦዲየንሳችን መድረስ እንችላለን ሰውኛን በቀላሉ ማግኔት ይችላልላ ሰው የውንግል ኡነት ማስራጨት እንችል ዘንድ እንድትተባበሩን በተተናን ጠይቃችኋለን ከዚህ በኋላ በእንግሊዘኛም ቀጥሎና ሰው ከኛ ጋር እንድትሆኑ እንጋብዛችኋለን peace be with you guys today we're going to talk about the 16th century would you like to share yeah 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 we're going to talk uh today uh, i think today is april 16 and uh, today marks the 501 anniversary of the diet of worms and uh, as, as a lutheran this day means a lot to us um, um maybe uh, this would be my opinion but next to the augsburg confession uh what happened in 1521 uh, from april 16 through 18 is one of the days that we always have to remember as a lutheran so we would be uh, celebrating that today here from our podcast and uh, we want to talk about what happened back then and uh, this would be a time to re- to reflect uh, what was happening the environment the historical context uh, the theological debate and uh, how luther ended up in worms uh, once again familiar topic for you pastor uh and uh, good to have you here uh, for the second time on our podcast uh, the last time you were here we were talking about introduction to lutheran theology and it went on for somewhere around 2 hours and 30 minutes the longest <laughs> we're not we're not going to replicate that today though so. <laughs> no um so just i uh, just want to throw up um, um a question uh, what comes to your mind when you think of a diet of worms pastor Well, as a Lutheran pastor what comes to mind is this is the moment we establish scripture, the written word of God as the authority of the church. That's the real significance here. And that's the first thing that comes to my mind as a trained Lutheran pastor about it. So sola scriptura? Yes. Okay. The scriptures alone. Yes. Okay. So uh, maybe for uh, our audience who have never heard uh, about Luther or uh, maybe you're saying 1521 like that. So yeah. what happened at 1521? Um, maybe you can connect it with Luther. Uh, who is Luther? Okay. So if you don't mind, I'll do a run up, a very short run yeah. up through history getting to this. Yeah, that would be okay. Great. So to start with, um, I think we touched on this a bit last time yeah. but who Luther is yeah. so Luther was uh, for our purposes here a Roman Catholic trained monk and theology professor yeah. he was challenged with some questions about salvation specifically the sale of forgiveness uh, called indulgences 
He, in 1517, he wrote up some challenges to that in the format that the theologians of that day used to have an academic debate. That's really what he did. He was challenging Roman Catholic theologians who supported the selling of forgiveness to debate the topic with him professor to professor. That's really all he thought he was doing. That, um, however, didn't work well because he didn't realize the indulgences that he was trying to challenge, the sales of forgiveness he was trying to challenge, were a very major, major fundraiser for the archbishop of the area and for the pope building his cathedral. So Luther was actually attacking the finances of the most important person in the church and another one of maybe one or two levels down from the Pope, a very, very important man in the church as well in his own area. And it ended up getting him in a lot of trouble. That was 1517. Over the next couple of years, these topics were debated. Luther was involved in a couple of debates. He was also doing a lot of writing. And every challenge pushed him a little further, pushed him to do more. One that is really worth noting, a couple of instances, this does get to the Pope, Mm -hmm. and the Pope sends one of his representatives to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Luther thinks he's going into a debate, chance to argue his point and discuss it, and instead he's just simply told, you're wrong, recant. Revoke your opinions, revoke, <laughs> revoke what you have said. Yeah. And Lu- Luther refuses. And this, this uh, starts the, again, keep pushing and uh, escalating the whole issue. Shortly after that, uh, you know, the, the Pope wants Luther handed over his German prince protects him and says no. And this man is a very powerful political figure that the Pope isn't ready to fight head to head. And so that kind of rests for a few moments. In 1519, there's a very important debate. It's called the Leipzig debate because it's in Leipzig with a very well-educated Roman Catholic professor, uh, Dr. Eck, uh, who's a who's a strong opponent for Luther, uh, but one of the thing, but Eck is also not in my mind necessarily honorable in everything that he does, and one rather than simply debate with Luther on the merits of what Luther says, is this claim right or is this claim not right? Is this claim right or is this wrong? One of the things he does is try to and successfully does connect what Luther is saying to a man who was condemned as a heretic and burned alive a hundred years before Luther, a man named Jan Hus. And some of what Hus said was correct. And some of what Hus said was similar, if not the same, as to what Luther was saying. And so... Eck used those points of overlap 
to make it look like, oh, Luther is just another Hess. He's saying the same thing Hess said. And that's already been condemned as heresy. Hess, I'm saying Hus, was already burned at the stake for this, and Luther should be next. It's kind of the implication. Yeah, yeah. But this, uh, this Leipzig debate for Luther's opponents really does successfully brand Luther as a heretic to those who disagree. Now, there are, he has many, many, many supporters, yeah. but now it's easier for his opponents because he's been labeled this way. Yeah. After this, the Pope will actually issue a, an ultimatum, a papal bull is what this thing is called, uh, basically telling Luther, either you recant of all of this or you will be excommunicated. Luther responds by publicly burning it. <laughs> and so then Luther is excommunicated, and Luther's prince argues that Luther, need, Luther deserves a trial by his peers. That he can't just be he cannot be just condemned this way. As a German citizen in this prince's realm, he deserves a a fair trial, and the prince has the power to make that seemingly happen. Yeah. And that's ultimately what finally brings us to the Diet of Worms. Okay. Uh, that is, it is a political meeting. It's, yeah. it's not a church meeting. It's, yeah. it's called by the emperor as a political meeting, and it's designed to deal with a multitude of political issues with different German princes, different German city-states, trying to sort things out. And Luther is just one issue. Yeah. And to give an example, this meeting is convened in January. Yeah. They don't get around to Luther until the middle of April. Yeah. So you can imagine all of the other topics that they were thinking were more important, and we've got this little German monk to deal with. Uh, but, but this is why Luther comes to this meeting expecting a fair trial, yeah. a chance to debate, a chance to defend. Yeah. But that's, as we talk more, yeah. we'll see that's not yeah. really yeah. what yeah. it oh, is. Sure. But that's what Luther is coming for. Okay. So that's if I know you asked a short question, yeah. but uh, short that's summary. kind of a, a long answer <laughs> to get you into yeah. what was this meeting. Yeah, yeah. Great. And you, you were mentioning the word excommunication earlier. Yes. And uh, in, in 15, so I'm going to take you a bit back, maybe a okay. year back. In 1520, uh, Luther wrote three treaties, and uh, it was freedom of a Christian on the Babylonian captivity of the church, and later to the Christian nobility of the German nation. And this even escalated uh, the relationship that he had with the Church of Rome. And uh, because of this writing, he was excommunicated. So maybe when we think of excommunication today and what they were thinking of when they were excommunicating him in the 16th century, there is a big difference. What was the consequence of Luther being excommunicated? By being excommunicated, they are essentially declaring him, well, one, technically and formally, declaring him to no longer be a member of the church, to no longer be Christian, okay. to be a heretic. And in, a, in the context of medieval society, where the government, the country, the society was the church, mm -hmm. 
they're essentially throwing you out of everything. And at that time, the viewpoint of heretics is that heretics needed to be executed. So in a, it's essentially uh, a sentence that absolutely would destroy a person's life socially, economically, politically, menomin, and also would get them probably killed. Yeah, for Rome, uh, there was no salvation uh, out of the church, yeah? So That's what they claimed, yes. Yeah, yeah so uh, it was kind of like being cut off uh, from salvation from Absolutely, Christ. you're right. So eternal consequences as well, okay. yes. Not just temporal. Right. Cool. And um, w- one of the things that you were mentioning earlier was you were talking about um, Frederick the Wise, and uh, he, he, he was arguing for Luther in favor of Luther, and uh, he wanted Luther to have a fair trial. But uh, the other uh, uh, people who were representatives of the Pope, like Aleander, they wanted him to be tried in Rome. Why, why was that? Well, because in Rome, the Pope has complete control. Okay. And they're going to do whatever they want to do, and nobody has the power to stop them. Even if Frederick wanted to scream and shout and appeal and yeah. do whatever he wanted to do, Luther would be dead before anything could have happened to stop or save him. And, and um, the other point with regard to Frederick the Wise, why was he protecting Luther? Was he won by the gospel or does he just love Luther? I think there are multiple things happening there. Mm. To begin with, Frederick was a very devout and serious Christian man, okay. uh, even before Luther. Yeah. And in fact, uh, as a good medieval-style Roman Catholic Frederick the Wise had a huge relic collection. And remember, people would venerate those relics thinking that they were earning forgiveness and cutting off time of suffering in purgatory and venerating those relics, traveling to see those relics, staying in the town while you see. There are a lot, this brings in a lot of money. And Frederick had that. Uh, Frederick also, it, the, the University of Wittenberg, where Luther taught, that was Frederick's university. Frederick was the one who built that university, really, and Luther was his professor, his monk, and Frederick greatly valued that. And then, as the gospel message came out, uh, I've not read any big studies on Frederick's theology or Frederick's statements about Luther's theology specifically. But the very fact that Frederick would continue to defend and protect a man who was teaching a theology that completely negated his valuable relic collection would cut into his income that way and even challenge his piety from all those years back. And Frederick continues to defend that man, tells me the gospel had to have a hold on his heart somewhere. Uh, I I just can't imagine a man who doesn't have that gospel impact Mm. say, okay, go ahead. Destroy the pride I have in my relics collection. Destroy that big income stream. 
cast all these doubts and shadows on my old piety. I'll still support you. If the gospel wasn't in his heart, he would not have done that. So I, I would argue, without having any statements from Frederick himself, just looking at his actions, that the gospel had to have had to have been alive in that heart and opened it up. Good point, good point. Um, so maybe what about, uh, you were saying uh, Lucha was given a, a hearing at Dieter Worms? Yes. So maybe for, if we hear, if we heard the word Dieter Worms for the first time, it might seem like something like eating worms. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so what does Dieter Worms mean? Okay. Uh, Good question. Yeah. I have to admit, when I was a little child, yeah. I thought the same thing. <laughs> you know, you asked the very first, what do yeah. you imagine when you think Dieter Worms? Well, as a pastor, I think this. Okay, okay. As a small child, I thought of a mouthful of slimy, <laughs> wiggly worms. Uh, but no, uh, so diet is just the formal name for this political meeting. Okay. And worms, as we pronounce it in English, yeah. worms. If I was German, the yeah. W is a V and the O has an umlaut over it. I'll stick with worms. I'm American. <laughs> uh, but that was the town. Okay. And uh, it's a, what is it? I think a little south of Frankfurt. Mm. And Luther lived in Wittenberg, which is close to Berlin. Mm. So you're looking at a, a long distance. 400, I think. I think 300 yeah. miles, yeah. maybe. Oh. I'm, I, don't think, I, I don't think in kilometers. <laughs> but, yeah, probably. So yeah. I don't do that math well in my head. But, yeah, probably a little more than 400 yeah. kilometers. Quite a distance. Yes. So you, you were mentioning uh, about John Huss uh, earlier. And Luther, I've heard about John Huss, or he has read about John Huss, and he knows what has happened to him. He was given, or he was guaranteed a safe conduct but they never kept their promise. Right. So how was Luther convinced to go to Worms, knowing what happened to John Huss? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> because you're right, Luther does know what happens. Yeah. Jan Hus had this exact same promise. Yeah. And when they declared him an outlaw, a heretic, then they say, we don't have to keep promises to heretics. Yeah. We'll kill you anyway. Uh, so Luther's well aware of that, and he knows that can happen. I think there are two things. On the human side, mm. he does know his prince is very strong. Mm. The emperor would not be the emperor if it wasn't for his prince, and the emperor knows that too. Yeah. So, one, Luther knows his emperor, who wants to protect him, is a very powerful man, and probably has a fair shot at protecting him, mm. but also as a man who is held captive by the word of God, he is well aware of the martyrs in the Bible, okay. the martyrs through Christian history, and at that point going in, he is fully aware and believes that it is better to be honestly martyred mm. for the faith than to dishonestly live hiding from it. Mm. And so he, he leaves knowing there is a chance that what happened to Jan Hus could happen to him. And if he is to be martyred, he will be martyred. Oh. So how was uh, 
so he got to the worms and uh, how was the meeting so did he get a chance to present his uh, theology what he believed to be true uh, from the standpoint of scripture or or did something happen before we get there you 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 said very quickly so he gets there <laughs> well he has that as you said this over 400 uh, yeah, kilometer yeah. journey and it's worth noting yeah. before we get yeah, there yeah. Yeah, on this journey this is almost like a victory parade. Yeah. As he, he travels over about 10 days, he's stopping in towns and preaching in the churches. Yeah. Crowds yeah. are coming out to the road and acknowledging him almost like a celebrity. Yeah. Uh, he has great support going. So all the way coming in, he's getting built up and built up and seeing this support. Worms is filled with his supporters. Yeah. In fact, um, Cayetan, mm. the main representative of the Pope, who will be examining him, so to speak, we'll talk about that answering yeah. your question in a moment, you know, Cayetan will say, um, at one point he says, he can't even walk out into the streets because every time he walks in the street, l- supporters of Luther put a hand on their sword and gr- <laughs> glare at him and and he's almost in fear for his life and at another point he will say nine out of ten germans are saying treat luther's name as a as a victory call and the other tenth are shouting about war with the pope so uh there's a lot of so of course that's an exaggeration but the the real point before about that is that Luther has great support. Even in the city, his supporters are filling the city. And he has great support from the politicians, the wealthy, the poor. Everyone supports him. The politicians and the rich, they see Luther as a means to decrease the power of the papacy, which also means take the papacy's hand out of their wallet and save their money. The poor people look at Luther and say, the status quo has us under the heel of the boot of the powerful men, and Luther is challenging that status quo. He will be our hero. So everybody, uh, regardless of social class, regardless of wealth, is supporting him. I say everybody, but many in in all these classes. So Luther makes this whole trip coming in being built up and built up and built up. When he walks into this meeting, it's not the fair trial he expected. No. no. Uh, he walks in, there's a table with his writings on it, his books, his letters. Uh, I, I think it, probably in the 20s, mm. you know, many of them. Mm. And he has asked two questions and only two questions. Yeah. Question one, are these your writings? Question two, will you renounce them? Yes or no? No, he's he's given questions where he can only answer yes or no, and he's only given those two questions. No chance for debate, no chance to discuss, no chance to present his reasoning, no chance to defend himself. Just yes or no, did you write this? Yes or no, will you revoke it? denounce it, recant. 
And Luther is, to be honest, quite taken aback. He's described as very timid, very nervous. Of course, I can appreciate why. He's standing before the Holy Roman Emperor who has an army at his disposal and the power to declare his death, just like Jan Hus. He is standing before, even his supporters, he's standing before the most powerful people in his world. And even if someone's on your side, they're there to defend you. If you make a fool of yourself, then you make them look bad too. So even his strong supporters have to make him a little bit nervous. And so he's coming into this setting where any normal person would be nervous. And then he's confronted with not the chance to defend himself that he expected, but he's just pushed into this corner. Yes or no? Yes or no? And Luther does something I think is surprises everybody, but I can understand why he does, and I think it's wise. He asks for time. He says, give me time before I answer this. And, and he argues that what you are asking me uh, is a subject that deals with my salvation. Yeah. I shouldn't have to rush into this answer. Give me time. The emperor says, okay, 24 hours. And that's the, fir- that's the first day. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, to answer your question, no, he did not get what he expected. Yeah. With regard to the, uh, he asked for a time, Luther yes. asked for a time to think it through. What was he doing that night? Because it must have been a terrifying night for him. Oh, I'm I'm certain it yeah. was uh, at the beginning of the night. Yeah, I'm certain it was very terrifying. Was it, is there anything written about that? What maybe was he reading? Was he praying or was he talking to friends? Is there anything written about that? I haven't <coughs> seen a lot of writing on mm. what was happening there, but Luther was in the position where he was having to figure out what he was going to do in relation to his beliefs about the word of God. And that is primarily something for him to discuss with God. And Luther was very well aware that his prayer was him talking to God and Luther also, you know, Luther was not a charismatic. He was not expecting that he would pray and God's voice would boom down <laughs> out of the heavens or that he would pray and God would give him some feeling in his heart yeah. that would... Luther knew God speaks through his written word. Yeah. And so Luther's prayer is his half of the conversation to God. Yeah. And then Holy Scripture is God's answer back. Okay. And so I would say quite confidently that the majority of the night was spent with Luther praying for insight from the Holy Spirit, praying for guidance from God, and then digging hard into the scriptures. I would guess that he was reading, reviewing. Did I, did I understand this? Did I make a mistake? Was I, no, no, that's what the words say. I can see them right here. As well as probably looking at some of the cases of some of the martyrs. And looking at the verses where God calls on us to be faithful yeah. and to sp- and to stand, yeah. I am guessing that Luther would have gone through all of those. Yeah. 
and constantly read and pray and read and pray. And it's, it's worth noting that later on, when Luther will say that this, uh, describe that very process, that this is how theologians are created. Okay. That um, Luther gives it three, three steps. Mm-hmm. Prayer, meditation, and the third word in, doesn't have an exact English translation, but it will be temptation, trial, suffering. Mm-hmm. And Luther's idea is you, you pray asking God to guide your biblical studies, guide your meditation on the Word, help you come to the right understanding, right conclusion of the Word, then open your Bible and study the Word of God. And Luther will describe this. You know, It's not just a quick reading, and it's not just one of those, oh, I'm looking for the inspiration of the Spirit. Okay, so God, help me find this must be the answer right here. You know, It's not like that. Uh, but a careful study of the word, and Luther will describe it as, you know, like chewing on food, okay. and just you know, as you chew and chew and chew, you bring the flavor out on the yeah. food, and get, or he'll talk about uh, taking a, a leaf from a plant and rub. You know, we have eucalyptus here. Yeah. If you're out for a long walk and you grab a eucalyptus branch and you you take that, if you rub that leaf and you breathe that in, and it opens you up and you can yeah. breathe better and keep walking well luther said that's how you read the scriptures it's like taking that leaf and you rub and you rub you get the essence coming out and and he says you do that with the scriptures you study the words you study the grammar you look at the full context that you dig and dig and dig and and you let the words of the bible give you the answer he says and then As soon as you have found the right answer from the word of God, Satan hates that, and he will attack you. And that attack will force you to run back to Scripture again, praying. It's a big circle. So you're attacked by Satan. You run back, praying for God's guidance. Go back to the Scripture. See the answer again. Satan attacks you again. So prayer, meditation, this attack. Prayer, meditation, this attack. And I'm quite certain that that's what was happening that day that night after the first day of the meeting. It was um, Luther doing just that. So this was on April 17th. Yes. So what happens the next day? April April 18th? Yeah. Luther comes back in and everyone describes him as just the opposite. The first day he comes in timid, he comes in scared. You can barely hear his voice as he gives an answer. He's so timid. He comes in the second day strong confident and he goes in and he divides all the writings into three different piles and he says these and he says yes these are my writings he says of the first pile uh, he in this first pile he has put books on theology ethics morality he says in these writings even my opponents have never challenged these writings. Even they agree that these are true. So if you're asking me to, to recant or revoke this writing, you're asking me to revoke things that you think are true. I cannot revoke these. Then he goes to the second pile. And these are writings where he has written against specific abuses of the papacy. And he says, essentially, you know, these are writing against abuses that violate God's word. So if I re- 
recant these, I'm recanting about a faithful defense of God's word. I can't do that. I can't revoke this pile. Then he goes to the third. He says, these are all the things that I wrote against the other people attacking me for believing the truth. So if I revoke these, again, I am speaking out against the defense. I'm revoking a defense of the truth. I can't do that. And so step by step, he refuses to recant any of these writings, but it's no longer just the yes or no that was demanded. He's, He's able to speak. After he says that, his papal challenger accuses him of essentially giving an answer with horns on it and says, speak clearly. And his answer is recorded for us in history. And it's one of those, I actually copied it down because I, uh, I, wanted, I didn't want to summarize this yeah. one. It's yeah. just too beautiful. Yeah. So when he is accused of giving an answer with horns, almost an attack, so just answer plainly, this is what Luther says. Since then, your serene majesty and your lordships seek a simple answer. I will give it in this manner, neither horned nor toothed, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and, by my, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Now at this point, his opponent tries to argue with him some more and then Luther has a final statement where he shuts it down. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. So a very straight, strong, powerful answer. Um, I would like to, if you'll let me, make one comment on his answer about um, saying it's never right to go against conscience. I want to take just a moment to talk about that because that statement has been abused or misused by modern Lutherans. So I'm stepping outside of our historical conversation about the Diet of Worms for a moment to talk about a modern issue. But among many of the modern liberal Lutherans, they've been abandoning the truth of the Word of God. Uh, The the most extreme example would be a a support and embrace of homosexuality. And some of these Lutherans, I have heard them actually claim that Luther would be in support of them. And they use this quote to argue it. And they say, someone who is homosexual, is that 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 is their makeup. Their conscience tells them that it is right for them to be homosexual. And so to tell them that homosexuality is wrong is to tell them to go against conscience. And even Luther says, 
It is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. So Luther would tell all of you conservatives, no, you're wrong. The liberals are right. You cannot demand these homosexuals violate their conscience. The conscience is, is the highest measure. That, even from Luther's words alone, from this quote that I gave you, that liberal argument is proven false. Because before Luther says it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience, he says clearly that he is bound by the scriptures he has quoted and that his conscience is captive to the word of God. So Luther is saying right there, if his, if his conscience is wrong, he's ready for the word of God to correct his conscience. The only reason Luther will stand by his own conscience is because he knows his beliefs are in agreement with Scripture. Now, for someone arguing for homosexuality, well, homosexuality is clearly condemned by the Word of God. So that is not a conscience bound by the Word of God. That is a conscience rejecting the Word of God. And Luther would say, that is damning. That is evil. That is wrong. And these liberal theologians, they know that. They're just twisting it, and they're playing games with Luther's words to try to push an ungodly, unbiblical agenda on our people and misusing Luther to do it. And I know that has nothing to do with worms, except that they steal this quote. But I wanted to mention that at this point. So... I'll put that aside. Okay, no worries. The aside is now aside. <laughs> <laughs> we can come back to worms. Yeah. So the point being, uh, our conscience should be informed by the scriptures. Absolutely. On any point. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That Back to that sola scriptura. Yeah. Scripture above everything. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. Okay. And that's what Luther is standing on in this powerful answer he gives on the 18th. Okay. So um, Luther confesses by saying here i stand yes uh, and then uh, the next day maybe uh, i think three four days uh, he was still in firms uh, and there was a committee uh, uh, and as james kittleson in his book puts it this, this committee was uh, organized by the emperor himself and uh, they were trying to break him down and uh, one of the things that they were mentioning against luther was uh, his treatise on uh, freedom of a Christian and the Babylonian captivity of the church. So they, they really hated that. Uh, yes. they, they never liked that. Rome never liked this treatise. And they were forcing him to recant. What was so uh, uh, different about this treatise uh, that made uh, Rome mad against Luther? What was contained in this treatise? Well, when we opened up, you said we're not doing another two-and-a-half-hour <laughs> podcast. Sure. <laughs> so to, to try to stay honest with that claim, I'll just distill it down to one simple yeah, point. Yeah. In these writings, coming from different angles, but still a critical main point really is an attack on the ultimate church authority that the Pope claimed for himself and his church and the simple answer is yeah, that cool, cool. No worries. Uh, so luther refuses and then 
he goes back to Saxony, but on his way to Saxony, he was abducted. But yes. that was planned by uh, the, his elector, uh, Frederick Zawais. Uh, do you want to add anything? Yeah, maybe what was the response of the people in the Diet after uh, Luther's firm uh, declaration? He said, here I stand. So what was the response of the audience? And what about the other? I have to be honest with you. I, d- I was so, f- in all of my studies, I was so focused on mm. Luther. I didn't really <laughs> look too much at the, yeah. the rest of them. I am certain his supporters were quite happy with yeah. that answer. Yeah. And I'm certain that the, those on the side of the papacy were probably quite angry and red in the face yeah. and would have killed him in the moment if they thought yeah. they could. Yeah. I, I, and in I, I, fact, many of them do argue with the emperor to revoke the promise of safe passage okay. and to do to Luther what they did to Jan Hus. That's what his opponents are saying. Now he's proven he's a heretic. We don't have to keep this promise. Let's kill him. But the emperor, rather out of his sense of his own honor, and it may have been, or out of politics related to Frederick, Maybe it was a little of both, but for whichever reason, the emperor insisted, even though it was his group and his side saying, revoke your promise of safe passage, the emperor resisted all of this pushing and said, no, I gave my word, I will honor it. And he gave Luther, I think it was 25 days, to safely get back to Wittenberg. You you better go, (laughs) you've got 25 days, and after that, that's it. Uh, yeah, and I've, I've I've read somewhere I don't remember, but uh, once Luther made uh, the statement, "Here I stand." His opponents were uh, shouting into the flames, into the flames, uh, just like I Jonas. would. N- <laughs> I I would believe it because <laughs> yeah. I know that's what they're wanting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So but you were asking, you were commenting on the kidnap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a brilliant move by his prince. Yeah. Uh, because it, it co- accomplishes a few things. Some good things for Luther, yeah. some something good for Frederick. Yeah. If Luther just went straight back to Wittenberg, as soon as the prince declared him an outlaw, which he does on May 25, one month later, then politically, Frederick could have been charged for harboring a criminal and protecting a criminal. And the emperor could have used that against Frederick and weakened Frederick's political power so that they could go after. Secondly, with Luther in, in the public face in front, of, if he had gone right back to Winterberg after this stand, everyone, everyone would have been calling on him. Everyone would have been looking at him. His supporters, say more, say more. We have to move forward with this. His opponents, go get him. But everyone would have been staring straight at Luther, and Luther would have been in the center of it all. By kidnapping him, one, since nobody knows what happened to Luther, maybe maybe thieves took him. And in fact, there are rumors that he's been killed. Uh, Frederick can say to the emperor, to anyone else who challenges, I'm not harboring a criminal. He was kidnapped. Maybe he was killed. Nobody knows where he is. How can you accuse me of doing these things? So Frederick protects himself. 
But he also, by hiding Luther away, this gives Luther a chance to not be pushed by friend and foe alike. It gives Luther a chance to not be right in the right in the spotlight and center stage when the emperor says that man's an outlaw and it, it gives time for all of that drama and all of that emotion to cool down before luther will come back out and i would expect just thinking about this as a human being if I had, was in Luther's shoes, and I had just gone through all of that. To have some time quiet away would be a true blessing. Even if I was feeling, I have to work, I have things yeah. to do, and I didn't want it, it would be good for my health if someone said, no, you will sit and rest. Of course, his resting meant translating the Bible yeah. and writing other works. He, yeah. he wasn't sitting around just eating, drinking, sleeping, and playing video games. So why did uh, Worms uh, ended differently than uh, Constance? Because you were talking about John Huss um, from uh, before 100 years ago, before Luther. Uh, he was killed. Uh, he was burned at stake. And why was it Luther burned at stake? Or why did he uh, went out from Worms alive? Why was he killed? The, you know, the short answer is the emperor kept his word, honored his promise. So part of that we can credit to the emperor's sense of morality and honor, not going back on his own word, even when the church says, it's okay, it won't count, you can lie this time. Uh, some of it I would may well have been Frederick's pressure on the oh, emperor. Uh, also, I would suspect it could have been all of Luther's strong supporters because for everyone who wanted to burn him, mm. there were probably five people in the streets who wanted to defend him. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I had mentioned earlier that Luther had this support yeah. from rich and poor alike, from political and common, everyone. And, and this is something all the historians recognize, and I gave you secular reasons for yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, one reason I didn't mention, but I think and doesn't get talked about in the history books. But I would argue was probably strongly at the center of his support is the fact that Luther, for many of these people, Luther is the first man they have ever heard truly share the gospel with them. And remember, for a medieval Christian, they believe Jesus is an angry judge who is unapproachable. Luther is the first one to really tell these people, no, your God is not the angry judge looking for excuses to condemn you. He is your loving Savior. Luther's the first one who's telling them, he's not unapproachable. In fact, he's speaking on your behalf with the Father right now. He's your mediator. He's your intercessor. He calls you brother. He died for you because he loves you. Now, this is the first time they're hearing this. And that gospel completely changes hearts. That gospel completely frees the conscience. 
And while the historians can't measure that, I, I can't help but believe that that's a strong drive, at least from a lot of Luther's supporters. Point. Uh, well, maybe final one or two questions. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the Diet of Worms. Uh, was Diet of Worms a victory for Lutherans? And what did, what did it mean for Luther himself? I would say yes, it was. Mm. Um, I, w- I would say it is a victory for Lutherans in a couple of ways. I would argue that with Luther's final answer, he elevates Scripture as the single ultimate authority. And as Lutherans, this is something that we thrive on. I mean, honestly, this is the time you should hold your cup up where it says Scripture Alone <laughs> podcast. Sure. You know, this is, this is where it's that Scripture yeah. Alone comes from. Yeah, for sure. If it wasn't for worms, your cup would say something <laughs> else. I'm not sure what, tradition but it would say alone. something, maybe. Yes, if we were still Roman Catholic. Yeah. Pope and tradition <laughs> alone. Well, there's a place for Scripture under them. Uh, but this is it. Yeah. You know, this is, this is where that ends up. Now, Luther's already writing on it, yeah. of course. It's not something new that he dreams up standing on this floor looking at the emperor. But this publicly proclaims it and etches it in stone in the minds of everyone. Scripture alone is the authority. The Pope makes mistakes. Church councils make mistakes. My own conscience, I can't trust it unless it is bound by the word of God. And that's true for his reason as well. Uh, Everything is put under scripture. His supporters, his opponents, it's right there for all of them to hear, for all of them to see. And moving forward, that will be our, well, we, we talk about the three, Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. This will be front and center for us from here on out. This is where this is where we will fall back every time. Every argument. The radical reformers, the Anabaptists want to attack us on baptism. We run to the word of God to defend it. People like the Swiss Reformed, Zwingli and Calvin. I mean, Zwingli is the one who will challenge Luther, but... Calvin's not too far off no. from him a little later on, challenging the truth that the body and blood of Jesus Christ are in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. Luther goes straight, you know, the Lutherans. Uh, Luther was Zwingli, Lutherans versus the Reformed. We go right back to the word of God alone to defend it. And you know, even the argument that I mentioned earlier with the liberal Lutherans, the conservative Lutherans, will go right back to the word of God to defend it yet today. And it's, it's Worms that does that. It's Worms that puts it in the center of the debate for everyone. Uh, also, with Luther being, uh, of course, he was excommunicated yeah. just before this, but now with Worms, this is where it's kind of ultimately formalized by the emperor himself yeah. putting his stamp on it. Now there is no, there really is at this point 
no chance, no hope that somehow the Luther and his followers will be considered an acceptable branch of the Roman Catholic Church. You know, it's not like we're going to have the Dominicans, the Jesuits, the Augustinians, and the Lutherans, all different groups in Roman Catholicism. It's not going to happen now. There is a formal, complete separation that will now force the existence of a separate church. Remember that was, you know, that was never Luther's idea. That was never a Lutheran goal. But that outcome does end up producing a church that does proclaim clearly and purely the message that we are saved by the sacrifice of Christ alone his perfect holy life, his innocent death, and his resurrection, that it is given to us as a free gift. We do not earn it by our works, not the works of our hands in doing good deeds, not the works of our mouth in saying the right words, not in the works of our mind by making a certain decision, not by any work of man at all, Our salvation is a free gift that God simply gives to us in the promise of his word. Whether that word is the written scripture that Luther clings to, whether that word is proclaimed from the pulpit, whether that word is shared by Christian brothers and sisters in conversation or podcast, or if that is word joined to water and baptism, word blessing the and joining with the bread and wine and holy communion, making the body and blood of Christ present in that meal. However that word comes, this delivers the free gift of salvation. And we have that simply by faith, by trusting and believing this promise that God has given us. As a separate Lutheran church, we proclaim that. We give that out in a way that no other church body is doing. And that independent church body that so freely gives out that gospel salvation gift wouldn't exist if Luther had not been excommunicated, declared an outlaw, and driven out of the Roman Catholic Church. Fascinating. Maybe, well, maybe one last question, uh, which would be really crucial for our listeners. Uh, why bother yourself with the 16th century history? Why should we hear about Diet of Worms or maybe Luther? Or And finally, what can we learn as a Christian from Luther and Diet of Worms? Okay, uh, excellent question. Why should we bother with the history is an easy one. Uh, When we open our scriptures and we read in the book of Ecclesiastes, over and over and over there's this phrase that comes back. There is nothing new under the sun. In this fallen world, there really is, of the things that are truly substantial and matter, there's nothing new. 
Satan is not a creative, original thinker. He just keeps using the same lies over and over and over. Fallible human beings make the same mistakes. And God's answer for all of this is the same answer. And so as we look back over history, what we end up seeing are people who came before us facing the same challenges that we face and receiving the answer and help from God that they need. And we can learn from that because our challenges aren't really any different. Uh, Whether it is a man sitting in a cathedral in Rome saying, I am the voice of God. I am the final authority. You listen to me. Or if it's a man who flew in from his private jet from Nigeria saying, I am the voice of God. I have his message. You must be loyal to me. It's the same lie. And the same answer from God answers it. So whether it's the Pope or some prosperity gospel minister, they're no different. Satan gave them the same lie to tell. And, the, and God gave the same, the, the answer that God gave Luther is the same answer for us today. Yeah. Holy Scripture, standing on the clear written word of God, is the answer in, to both of those little popes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah, may God help us to stand firm uh, like Luther. Because we have, as you said, uh, same uh, maybe temptation. And uh, uh, again, we have the same answer. Yes. Uh, so our scripture, scripture alone. I mean, uh, may God help us to stand firm in the word of God. Here we still stand yeah. with Luther. Amen. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you. Uh, it's a great honor to have you uh, here with us. We have been really blessed. Not only our audience, uh, but also me and Obsa. We have been learning a lot of things and this won't be the last one. Uh, we hope we're going to meet again with another topic. Uh, until then, uh, peace be with you. And also with you. Amen. Amen. Amen.